AI can be seen as a progression in our scalability of labor. This is a quote taken from this week's episode on the Tech Emergence podcast. We were lucky enough to speak with Naveen Rao, uh, who finishes uh, postdoctoral work actually in my home state of Rhode Island at Brown University in neuroscience, and now is CEO at uh, Nirvanasis, uh, where he works on a full stack solution to help companies solve machine learning problems at scale. And uh, Naveen speaks to this in this particular episode about certain domains in industry where he feels optimistic machine learning can really make a difference in the coming five years. Um, Nirvana is working with some pretty interesting companies and in some interesting domains as is. And Naveen has some pretty interesting perspective as to uh, where fields like agriculture, for example, might apply machine learning and, and uh, oil and gas and domains that oftentimes aren't spoken of but do have enough uh, qualitative data and enough incentive uh, to really see some major changes in the coming half decade if they implement it. So without further ado, Naveen Rao with Nirvanasis. So Naveen, I know that you're thinking about the applications of of artificial intelligence and, and deep learning in a lot of different industrial domains. Some folks who are tuned in now might already be aware that finance, for example, already has a, a very firm footing in artificial intelligence. We might say finance is sort of the driver of industrial AI or has been at least historically. Uh, domains like risk, insurance, uh, fraud. In the next five to 10 years, what areas do you think will grow the most? Not just the ones that are tallest now, but where do you think we're going to see that lift? That's a great question. I think um, there's a framework you can use to kind of make these analyses. I mean, um, AI as we know it today, and that might change in 10 or 15 years also, but as we know it today, is it's really uh, the next level of scalability of labor, if you think about it. Yeah. Right? Uh, if you go back to the Industrial Revolution, you can kind of think about, well, when people started building machines to, to plow fields and things like that, we, we, we out, upped our, our impact and our productivity. Uh, this is kind of the next level of scale. We can now have data scientists who come up with algorithms who actually do things that people used to do and make it scalable and accessible. So, you know, in the next five to ten years, I think healthcare is a huge one. Um, that's probably more on the ten-year time frame, just given you know the constraints around the industry and, and regulation. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, agriculture is a great one. Um, it's mm. it's really just about using what we have today much more efficiently, right? So using land more efficiently, growing crops uh, with higher yield on that land, using the energy that comes from the sun more efficiently. Um, I think that's there's a huge impact there because um, these are problems that kind of have hard limits on them, right? We can't really farm more area easily, right? That's, that's no, no. Yeah, we're going to run, we're gonna run out, yes. Yeah, so basically anything uh, where we have limited resources, we have to use them more effectively. So, um, uh, you know, personalization of experiences, I think, is also going to be another very big driver in the next few yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Um, today, you know, we have devices that are relatively smart, like smartphones and things like that, but they're not really personalized to us so much. No. Um, I want my phone, for instance, to understand me better than it understands you. Uh, yeah. It should be able to pick me up in a crowd and understand what I'm asking you. Um, these kinds of things are actually extremely difficult to do today because of uh, the scale required. Um, even Facebook, right? They try to personalize some of their experience to their users, but they generally clump users together and uh, and and dole it out that way. So uh, I think that's a, that's going to be a huge driver on the on the enterprise side, um, which tends to lead consumer in general. Uh, I think you're going to find um, 
same same concept of personalization, but at the company level, right? Companies building personalized data solutions for their problems, right? Um, and I think that can be across many different types of industries. I mean, you see Walmart, you see Target, all these companies have data science labs, and uh, they're trying to compete with companies like Amazon, who are who are leapfrogging them on the technology side. Ultimately, they're all selling you uh, consumer goods, yeah, but. Yes, yes. So uh, consumer consumer sales are going to be a huge one. Um, advertising, of course, you know, yep. better targeted advertising. Uh, these are these are going to be the drivers in the, in the near term, I believe. Huh, interesting. Okay, so uh, we can dive into a few of those because I think someone with the, the perspective that, that you have and thinking thoroughly through a lot of these fields and where they're going to take us. You had talked about agriculture off microphone before we started rolling here. Um, it, you know, that's a curious one for me because it's not, it's not what immediately comes to mind, even if you're familiar with AI and, and maybe understand a little bit of AI's utility in, in industry, uh, agriculture isn't the first, the first industry that, that comes to mind. Um, you know, I imagine that the fact that maybe there's, a, there's less mom and pop farms, at least in terms of who's supplying, you know, Kellogg's, you know, it's, it's not mom and pop farms supplying Kellogg's, they're, they're doing, a you know, local CSAs or something like that. So it seems as though larger farms who are maybe have bigger budgets and are have have uh, more of a, you know, more folks really seriously taking uh, technology seriously to, to make more of their land. Maybe that's a helpful trend here. What is it about agriculture that makes it rife for that kind of um, disruption? And then why do you feel like it's going to, you know, grow any more than any other industry? So, yeah, um, in, the, in the domain of field work, for example, I mean, obviously, you know, threshers have been around for however many hundreds of years, more, more ornate work of, let's say, insecticides or, you know, picking different kinds of crops that are maybe more difficult and involve a bit more dexterity. Um, what other sort of robotic applications uh, might, might AI sort of weasel into in, in the agriculture world? Well, I mean, just basically maintaining the state of the crops, you know, uh, dealing with any kind of disease, that sort of a thing. A lot of that can be automated uh, now, especially with advanced computer uh, vision techniques that we were coming up with, right? I mean, we can very accurately, if not more accurately than a human, classify, you know, what's going on with the leaf of a plant uh, yep. these days. So uh, because of that new capability, it's opened up this whole world that we can now 
have a computer discern what's going on and actually take relevant actions. Um, so that's one aspect. So these are all kind of field work. And field work is like something that's been non-scalable for a long time. Yep, right? We yep. invented tractors and we kind of stopped there. Humans have been <laughs> yeah. uh, running those tractors. But now we can actually have machines run them. Um, the other side of it is kind of um, you know crop selection, uh, matching crops to various environmental variables, uh, you know, basically getting better utilization out of our resource of land, right? I mean, today it's done mostly by, it's kind of ad hoc, right? Uh, humans who have experience know this crop works here well. Uh, can we make better better types of crops, crosses that make, that work in different environments? Can we, um, you know, shuffle around mm. where crops grow into different environments and actually get better yields? Uh, these are questions that are very answerable now. And uh, using data science and machine learning, we can really uh, optimize that. Interesting. It reminds me a bit of uh, artificial intelligence applications in, in you know, health and, and personalized medicine, um, looking at, you know, genomes and, and the uh, interaction of, of, you know, different chemical compounds or, or potential meta medications to folks with, with uh, different genotypes. Um, you know, it might be said that if there's enough data around, you know, weather patterns and soil types or whatever the case may be, then maybe you could find a similar kind of a fit where it wouldn't be, you know, the old farmer kind of licking his finger and sticking it up in the air and saying, all right, well, the corn should go on this side, but maybe there'd be a lot, a lot more sort of firm discernments around what should go where and grow where next to what based off of that kind of historical information, maybe from, from many, many farms. Is that, is that, am I on the right page here? That's absolutely correct. And, and I think you, you also nailed it that uh, it's the same thing we want to do in healthcare, right? Yep. This, this is going to be the recurring theme, right? Everything is going to be, we can now make it a data-driven decision, right? We can use an algorithm that learns from data and actually finds the right inferences uh, instead of it being an ad hoc kind of, uh, you know, tribal knowledge kind of uh, uh, assessment. We yes. can actually make it a real data-driven assessment. Yeah, we, we can go beyond sort of... Although, although it's gotten us pretty far as a species, maybe farther than I would have expected if I just saw us off the trees. Um, but, but we'll go beyond, you know, the osmosis learning method of sort of being next to people that sort of get it and having a lot of experiences and sort of learning it and getting it. Uh, really, really being able to expand that uh, up to something much, much, much farther beyond. And of course, that's already happening in so many different industries, and we're just talking about a few. In terms of personalized experiences, well, you brought up something that I just wanted to touch on quickly and ask about, because I think the folks listening in might uh, be curious too. Um, with respect to uh, with respect to enterprise leading this domain, are, did you mean artificial intelligence? In other words, AI applications in a digital environment is normally led by, you know, bigger B2B companies? Is that is that what you were implying? I just wanted to get clear. That's right, exactly. So I think you know, there are clear ROI statements uh, to be made by enterprises today. And so uh, this is why we've chosen to go for more of an uh, enterprise-centric uh, view of the world because you know consumers are somewhat fickle. They're scared of AI. There's, there's a lot of weird sentiments out there still. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it, I think companies uh, are much more rational about it. It's like, well, if this is going to help us on our bottom line, we want it, right? Got it, so got it, got it, got it. So, so it's, a, it's a much more, it's a much more clear, um, the, the decision-making process, you know, if, you, if it's stakeholders and if it's, if, if, if you can win there, you know, then, hey, that's it. You know, it's not going to be as much funny, wacky, variable preferences um, 
it'll it'll more be there. So so bigger bigger B two B AI applications tend to lead. That's that's curious. Curious to mention that you had also mentioned off mic that finance is similarly a driver. That makes a lot of sense. I mean they're you know analyzing ticker activity and candlestick charts and and uh, probably have have had applications in the artificial intelligence world well before the world knew them and saw them when Amazon suggested a book or whatever the case may be. Um, what are what are some of the other spaces that tend to be far out in front? Uh, you know, finance, you mentioned as one, B2B applications for artificial intelligence for enterprises, another one that tends to lead the pack, real ROI, easier to sell that. Um, where else does kind of the cutting edge develop itself in, in your mind? Uh, well, I think sometimes these things are not the, the norm for the cutting edge areas, but I think even like oil and gas exploration is a pretty big one. Huh. Uh, again, it comes, down, it comes down to using what you got more efficiently um, yep. and making better decisions. So, you know, the downstream costs of, of drilling in the wrong place are very high. <laughs> yeah. So if you can come up with a way to do that more effectively and automate it, and automate it uh, you can come up with something that has a clear ROI statement. Um, so, I mean, that, that will be classified as a, you know, uh, enterprise B2B kind of a thing, I oh, suppose, yeah. but uh, uh, it's a specific problem that um, I think lends itself to this. Yeah, qu- uh, quite quite interesting. Wow. So, because you just think you just think about those as just the stodgiest, most boring conceivable. I mean, at least, for, you know, of course there's money there. Um, you know, Rockefeller wasn't, uh, you know, he, he wasn't, uh, you know, making chewing gum. Um but uh, and for good reason. But but at the same time, you just don't think of them. You know, you think of Google as like the the farthest out ahead. You know, the consumer would anyway, farthest out ahead in terms of tech. But I suppose, like you mentioned, if there's a clear ROI statement, there's tons and tons and tons of not only money, I mean budget, but incentive to really make better use of existing resources, which I think is a is a useful frame. Um, the last question that I wanted to ask you, Naveen, bearing in mind our our time uh, that we have together here, uh, I know that you folks have have really grown as, as a company since your founding. You're now serving as CEO here. There's a lot of founders and potential founders who are tuned into tech emergence um, who are also in the domain of machine learning and AI. This tends to be what we hone in on a lot of the time outside of neuroscience or in addition to neuroscience. Um, when you've been speaking to the investor community, which maybe hasn't been for a while, I'm not sure. Um, when, when you're speaking to that world, what did you find as the sentiment for AI in today's day and age, and what were the common misconceptions from those folks? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, we started the company almost two years ago now. So there's been a, a distinct shift in the world in the last two years uh, as far as the investors are concerned. Uh, when, we, when we started pitching people, you know, two years ago, um, you know, one or two of the investors knew what deep learning was or they heard the name, they heard the word. Um you know, they didn't really have a good sense for what it was. I think there was a lot of excitement then because that was when DeepMind was bought by uh, Google. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so that was kind of where it was dri- driving most of the investor excitement. It was like, well, there was a big purchase by a company that does tech really well. So maybe this is important. <laughs> oh, um, man. I think fast forward, you know, a year and a half or so, uh, you know, we closed around back in May of 2015. Um you know, things were very different then. You know, you go and talk to an investor, uh, you first, you know, talk to an associate or a partner or whoever, they know exactly what deep learning is. They know who the players are. They know what Microsoft and Google and Baidu and all these guys are doing. In fact, a lot of them even even heard of us at that point because we were one of the earlier companies in the space. Yeah, yeah. So it was a very interesting kind of a thing. Now, I, I think today there is a lot of excitement 
And I think um, everybody, everybody knows it's going to be huge. Uh, I, I think it's, it's almost a certainty at this point because the capabilities that uh, deep learning has brought uh, to many different industries are going to revolutionize them, right? And some of the examples we just went through. Yep, advertising and um, culture, yep. It's literally changing the way labor is working, right? And so uh, VCs are very interested in this. Um, but now exactly how that's going to manifest, that's where people start getting a little more, um, uh, what's the word, not skittish, but just uh, they, they, they're going to question a lot more because yep. there is not there is no established business model right now, right? There are some that people have tried, and we're one of those trying it today. Yep. But the only established business model has been you know, Google internally using deep learning to drive their solutions or Facebook yep. or Baidu. Or Amazon, yeah, exactly, yeah. Amazon, yeah. Or, but for an outside third party to bring a deep learning solution to another to another company, that's still uh, a relatively new thing. Yeah. Okay, got it. So, so, so a company doing X that uses AI, okay, cool, maybe less skepticism. Man, look at all these folks that are doing that today, driving their services with fantastic uh, cutting-edge artificial intelligence. That's great, but if, if you're aiming to sell AI, if you are a vendor of artificial intelligence itself, um, what is that? So th this this is a bit of the response to sort of the domain that you're in, at least in some realm, which maybe makes it more intriguing to to folks. And obviously, you've got you know great people on board, DFJ and Sam Altman, and and uh, you know some some heavy hitters sort of behind what you're up to. But have you found that that's kind of where the questioning kicks in? Is like, well, no one does this as a vendor. How the heck do you do that? Is that is that what you've run into? Well, actually, you know, I would argue that the deep learning for X is not always a, a grand slam either. So uh, what I think investors find interesting about us is that we, we are, um, if, you, if you use a finance term, a diversified portfolio. <laughs> yes, yes. Since, since we're a platform, you know, we can kind of move to the area where deep learning is adopted most quickly. Got right? it. Uh, different industries have different cultures about how quickly they adopt new technologies, what their incentives are, and how much money there is there. Interesting. And, that's what I think makes it very difficult if you are a deep learning for X companies. Like you're kind of putting all your eggs in one basket, and mm. you've got you've really got to beat the established solution and figure out a business model that makes sense. Um, yeah, you know, and this this is why I think healthcare was a tough one because you know even if you are if you're beating or let's say you're at, on par with a you know the average doc, uh, uh, you know radiological scans or something like that, uh, which I think is a great use of deep learning by the way. Yep. Um, how are you going to sell it? Doctors don't want to lose their job. They're the ones who are going to make the decisions, right? Yep. So you really have to think through who's going to buy these things and um, why are they going to buy it, right? So where you can demonstrate a clear ROI statement, it makes sense. But in many of these industries, coming in as an outsider uh, is actually, even if you are the best at deep learning for, for X, uh, it becomes very difficult to peddle that. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it, huh. So are the ones who need to pay for it. <laughs> so we might, we may or may not know you, I, or anyone exactly where deep learning in the next five years will will spike you know for example maybe maybe there's all sorts of hurdles that will come into play in agriculture and there's folks that are stuck 100 percent in that domain that get left in the dust i guess such as entrepreneurship right um to right. to undertake i mean this is a uh, you know put, putting putting things at stake and, and kind of making your claim making your call but there's certainly risks there too in terms of common misconceptions as a last question you know uh, it sounds like in the investor world, you know, two years ago, and then today, you know, deep learning, they'll have a functional understanding, or many will have a functional understanding of, of what's going on there. Um, what are what are still maybe some of the 
the nuances of, of artificial intelligence, its applications, the science behind it, that you found as sort of the most common misconceptions um, from folks who are interested in investing. This is not to knock anybody, by the way. This is just to say that's not their cup of tea, and you've had to explain probably the same things over and over. What have been some of the misconceptions that, that you've had to clear up? Oh, yeah. So I think you know how difficult it really is to build a good deep learning system and solution for a data problem. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of buzz like when TensorFlow was released, or yep, yep. you know these kinds of things. And you know, those are those are software packages that allow one to start building a solution. But actually, utilizing them to build a solution is not easy. And I think it, misconception has been like, well, there's a couple open source tools, so now it's solved, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, it's actually like, well, not really. I mean, just getting one of those things to run on a on a system and specking a system to work and then maintaining those systems, making it scalable, all of these things are really hard. Um, and you know, companies like Google have they've invested a lot in a platform team that basically extracts that away so their applications can actually use them. Yep. Um, you know, releasing one piece of that pie and that puzzle does not really um, build a solution for uh, for someone outside. So I think some of that has been uh, a misconception. Um, Interesting. You know, I think investors are pretty smart. Uh, they they're not the kind that are getting scared about you know what AI is going to do this kind of thing. You do. I have never heard that in an investor meeting. I've only ever heard that in, a, in no, no one's no one's brought <laughs> no one's no one's brought up a Musk at all. No no one's no one's quoting uh, no one's quoting uh, Nick yeah. Bostrom at your investor meetings. So Steve Jurvetson's on our board. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he knows Elon Musk very well. Yeah, he's he's got he's got Instagram um, yeah, pictures yeah. of Musk's like databases that say right. Skynet on him. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's one of these things that I I honestly don't know what the trade off between uh, <laughs> PR versus uh, reality is there. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think Musk is probably a very reasonable guy, and he's going to see that there there are many industry solutions here that. Uh, that can come out of what we call AI today. For sure. Uh, you know, what AI is today is very, very far away from like this doom and gloom scenario where, you know, somebody's going to take over and, and try to kill humanity or something. I mean, it's so far away. It's on, it's not even, it's, it's a different thing, right? It's, it's not, it's something, what we have today is basically a tool. Um, it's like, you know, I can, I can build a bulldozer to move a, a ton of dirt, but I can't move a ton of dirt myself. Yep. It's the same thing. I can make something that can sift through 10 million images in an hour, but I can't do that myself. You know, that's what we have today. Yep. So, well, it, we've, interestingly enough, we've we've seen the whole gambit yeah, here. Just, yeah, <laughs> but you so you don't see as much of that from investors, basically. No, they're, no. they're pretty savvy on this, yep. and I, I think they're you know they're investors after all. They want yep. to see where, where is their money to be made. Right? That's it. So curious. Well, at least it sounds like from what you're telling me here. It's a little bit of a maybe more receptive or understanding climate in general about what AI is, where it's going, and that the general sentiment is that uh, th this is a grand and broad tool for disruption, and investors are more open to that, which might be good news for some of the folks tuned in. Naveen, I, I sincerely appreciate you being able to uh, share your insights with us here on Tech Emergence. I real realize we're right about on time, but I wanted to, to share our appreciation for having you here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives, top researchers, and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, 
then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.